I think I think we should put the final episode up on like a, as a Patreon bonus. So that people can't hear <laughs> the ending of the show without paying for it. You've listened to 60 episodes of this show. If you want to hear the thrilling conclusion, it's going to cost you two bucks. What if we did, like, like the final episode, like, in most of its entirety, is free, including the ambiguous semi-cliffhanger ending. Yeah. And, like, the last ten minutes is just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last 10 minutes. And yeah, do you think there's like a thing where like the amount that we leave out for the conclusion, like the, the smaller that amount is, the more people would pay to you? <laughs> I think weirdly, like, yeah. If you've heard 60.9 episodes, nice. Uh, and there's like, you know, it's like 10 bucks for the last 0.1. You're going to be like, ah, fuck it. Okay, fine. Whereas if it's like just the last one, you're going to be like, no, oh, 10 bucks is pretty steep. Maybe can't end on 69. Maybe our obligation is yeah, to 60. end on 60.9. <laughs> This is a tale of a strange and dangerous world, a world known as Carthus. This is an adventure full of magic, hardship, and friendship. This is a tale about a world at war, and the people who are forced to endure it. When ancient magic starts to stir, three unlikely heroes find themselves embroiled in a quest much larger than themselves. But, more than any of that, this is a story about how to win loot and influence dragons. Hello, and welcome aboard How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons. It's a nautical-themed D&D 5e actual play podcast for the Curio Network. I am, as always, your Russell Crowe master and commander, Ben McAllister. <laughs> And I am your first mate, with a parrot, Jackson Usid. I'm uh, Thomas Horatio Hornblower Owen. Whoa. Um, and I'm Grace the Kraken Chapo. Whoa. <laughs> That's something. Oh, um, hey, was Russell Crowe in Master and Commander? Yeah, he yeah. was. Oh, he, thank- he was either the master or the commander. No, I'm I not think sure he's which. both master and commander. I, I, I wow. hoped that was the case, but as I was saying it, I became less certain. <laughs> Um, hey, so here's one for you. So, uh, in high school, I saw the movie Master and Commander. Uh, apparently, don't remember it very strongly because I wasn't sure if Russell Crowe was in it, but, um... The movie came out in 2003. Why are we watching it in high school? Got it. <laughs> How did you know that movie came out in 2003? <laughs> I remember it. God, I guess. <laughs> anyway, did that one leave an impression, Grace? God, Grace actually has a fucking spooky memory for when films come out. Like, honestly. But also, wasn't that... Didn't that doctor operate on himself? In that movie, or is that a different movie? You're thinking of Spider-Man 2. Oh, sorry. I'm thinking of when the kid gets his arm chopped off. Right. I remember, like, that kid that commits suicide by holding a cannonball and jumping in the water. And I was like, oh, same guy? Yeah. Fuck. Oh, I know why you remember what year it came out, Grace. It's because it won two Academy Awards in 2003, and that was during the period of time where you decided you were going to memorize every Academy Award that had ever been won. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I know most of the ones that were awarded in that 20th year. Man. Yeah. Okay, so anyway, 
I watched Master and Commander, and again, clearly didn't make much of an impact on me because I wasn't sure if it was Russell Crowe. But I do distinctly remember. Like, do you guys ever like have like you know your like end of year school assembly? They would give out like book vouchers. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I got I got these book vouchers, and uh, I went up there, and I bought uh, the Master and Commander books because I was like, oh, I've seen those movies. I bet I'll read those books. And as I sit here and talk to you and crane my head around to the right in my study, I can see them sitting on my bookshelf, spine uncracked <laughs> after all these years, just just sitting there on the shelf. Wow. So you must have read them so carefully. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one of these days. Maybe one of these days. When I was in high school, they didn't give out vouchers, they just gave out books. Oh, fuck and, that. Um, yeah, the books that I got were a God Loves You Bible, which was... Like a um, like picture Bible for babies, as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> it was like three words to a page. Oh my god! And then the one I got the next year was the world's tallest trees. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I know. So now that we know about all the books that we all got in high school and either did or did not read. Uh, how do you feel about learning about some of the books that they have to read on the Carthan High School syllabus by taking a deep dive back into the weird and wonderful world of Carthas? I feel good, but just really quick, do you guys ever see that thing on the internet about that person that was, like, going around on the subway and in order to make books more carryable would, like, cut books in half? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, they cut them down the spine and just take a little chunk? Yeah, I fucking hate that. Yeah. How would you not lose the end page? Well, so yeah, that's true. maybe this will you tell get, you... You get to sign up for a subscription service <laughs> for $2 for the ending of the book. Maybe this will tell uh, you, like, <laughs> where I'm kind of at mentally at the moment and, like, really inform the kind of perspective I have right now, which is that when you said okay. they cut books down the middle, I was like, oh, but then they'd only be getting to read every other page. <laughs> because in my idiot... It's not even every other page, like... <laughs> I was like, Chris, if you've only the got- number of cuts you'd have to put in a book but to look, read if every you, other listen, page. If, if you if you read the left half of a book, yeah. and then go back to the right half, it's all gonna be punchline, baby. <laughs> it's a lot of it's it's like Breaking Bad, you know. It's a lot of a lot of build up and then all payoff on the right half. Yeah, just- I was just thinking like, yeah, you'd only get all the left pages and like <laughs> that's. <laughs> God damn, that's fucking so stupid. Somebody spent too long on a boat yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's learn about some characters much smarter than me in the great, great world of Carthus. I hope you don't mean the party because we dumped in right across the board. (laughs) (laughs) Maleficus sits in the crucible. The altar behind him, over a thousand years old, looms large in the cavernous space. He is in a state of quiet contemplation, cross-legged, hovering three feet off the ground. He holds in his hand a metal locket. It contains two still images. On the left, twelve cine stand together, smiling and laughing. It's an image of a simpler time. On the right, a single figure, Elva, stands with the hood of her robe lowered. She has a wry half-smile on her face. Suddenly, he's snapped out of his reverie by the entrance of Esme. He deposits the locket in his robe, returns to the ground, 
and faces her. Esme, he says, you promised me that if I held off, I would have all the pieces. Where are they, Esme? Where are my pieces? They haven't arrived yet, Maleficus, but when they do enough, I owe you a debt of gratitude for releasing me from my imprisonment, Esme, but I grow impatient. The ritual will begin. You've waited a thousand years. What's a few days more? A tense silence fills the chamber. Esme summons all of her willpower and holds her gaze against Maleficus' steely, ancient eyes. The silence is unbearable. She's about to falter and back down when Maleficus breaks it. I've waited long enough. To repay my debt to you, I will grant you one more day. But the ritual begins tomorrow. Pieces or no. Okay, so do you guys know where we're at? So, we finished up the fight, we have the wizard, and do we go into an obelisk? Was that a thing? Yeah, you're off to see the lizard. No memory of going into an obelisk. I don't know if that happened. Didn't you wrap up by basically being like, great, so you've like neutralized the party, you've kept one person alive, you've like tied him up, and then we were like, what, dragging him towards an obelisk to go into the web? Yes. Indeed, that is what I said. And that's all. What even? That's all that's happening, and... You don't need to worry about anything else that may or may not be happening at this present moment. Um, anyway, so, yeah, that's right. You guys... You, you, you captured a wizard, and uh, then you, Do you have a license for this? continued walking through the woods on your way over to an obelisk, and um, before you know it... But seriously, are we going to lose this audio? <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry? This isn't going to be in it anyway, is it? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I'm, like, I feel like we should include that and just see if we get away with it. Oh, I'm definitely going to include that. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if they sue us, we can just be like, sorry, and, like, put it back up without yeah, it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's fair use, which we don't have in this country, yeah, but podcasts, also not in this podcast country. Podcasts so all about asking for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> mm. So, you guys walk through the web. I think, like, unless you want to do anything differently, we can kind of accelerate a little bit and say, like, you guys know where this obelisk north of Sanctuary is. You've got this tied-up wizard with you. Uh, he's unconscious. Yeah. You knocked him out. There's Elva, there's oh, yeah. Valeria, there's Elena... And the three of you, and you just roll up to the obelisk, you make your way into the web, there are tubes there that you guys used to get here from the Temple of Sky, between a combination, really, of Elena knowing, like, the direction through the uh, Ashwood that needs to be travelled to arrive at her, like, group's encampment south of Snakesbane Spring, and... Uh, a combination of Valeria, sorry, of um, Elva's knowledge of where the uh, obelisks are, and Duncan's new ability to sense the location of obelisks, uh, which I think you got at level sixteen, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
And like, like Elva, Elva knows that there is like a, a couple of obelisks around that area. Like near the Crucible is sort of where they like first started like branching out and experimenting with this kind of technology. So there's like a, a, a slightly higher density of obelisks there, just as like experimental portals. Really, you know, you, you pull up at one, uh, maybe like an hour's walk south of uh, where you are heading, and before too long, you are back in the Ashwood, a different part of the Ashwood than you've been in before in this campaign. Further east, certainly. And probably a part of the Ashwood that's, like, relatively familiar to Duncan. Whether or not it was, like, a, a place that he travelled through when he was on his way to Snakesbane Spring from uh, North Pal. I know we uh, retroactively uh, didn't make everything that happened in that <coughs> canon, but I do like the name. Um, so whether, whether he was making his way uh, through this area on his way to Snakesbane Spring, or whether he just, you know given this area is like maybe like a half day radius away from Snakesbane Spring uh, on horseback, he may have very well just like been here a number of times anyway. What do you think about that? Um, I'm pretty sure Duncan would have been a huge fan of day trips into the Ashwood. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, that's a joke. But uh, I can only assume that being an urchin and doing odd things to make money, as in like odd jobs, hey, oh. strange things. <laughs> Um, uh, and as in, as in, like doing various tasks, not multiple Bond villains. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I feel like he would have had certain jobs take him out this area. Fet- fetch quests, right? Like go out and get me twelve yeah. wolf pelts. Go out yeah, and you know deli- exactly. deliver this letter to the local innkeeper. There's fifty coffers in it for you. You know mm. things, things like that. Get me a rabbit mask. The that kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Everyone, jump in here with yeah. your favorite fetch quest. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> cleaning the uh, the stables of the, the stallions, having to get the golden apple, you know, defeating the Nemean lion, you know, just the regular yeah. Duncanian stuff. What um what were those references to, Juicy? Uh Hercule. What? Hercules. <laughs> Hercules. Oh nice, yeah, of course. Yeah, right, you're doing all right. Or as he would have it. Heracles. Yeah. <laughs> I also am a big fan of Hercule Satan. The name of Mr. Satan, the wrestler character from the Dragon Ball Z universe. Um, So stupid. (laughs) Mr. Satan. What, are you not a fan of Hercule Satan? It's a silly name. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fucking you and Akira Toriyama can beef it out then, because... I feel like Poirot has it figured out. If you're going to reference someone famous, reference one famous person, not two at once. Yeah. You know that famous person, Satan? Yeah, yeah Satan's a famous person. <laughs> yeah, that is a bit like Ronald McDonald Minogue or something like that. You know, like just like a combination yeah. of like famous names. That's like, actually yeah. a perfect comparison. Thank you. Because, I mean, everybody has always said that Hercules is a Ronald McDonald of Greek mythology. I think that's reasonable. And, I mean, Satan, Kylie Minogue, that's, that's a given. Yeah. All right. This all seems highly important, but I also think we should move on. <laughs> so, uh, you guys walk through the Ashwood for a little while, and uh, after, you know, maybe an hour's stroll north from this obelisk, in, I mean, is anyone doing anything, or is this, like, a relatively somber, silent mood? Because I think, like, unless anyone is, is particularly engaging them, especially Elva is very uh, pensive and withdrawn and just kind of, like, moving forward at the front of the pack. I, I'd say that... Duncan, at least, is much like that denim-esque fabric and is pretty sombre. <laughs> I love that. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to use it some hit dice. Recover some health. Oh, shit, that's a damn good idea. Can we have a short rest? 
Uh, you could certainly have had a short rest whilst you were in uh, the the tube that was traveling through. Yeah, you had like a couple yeah. hours in the tube. So definitely a short you rest. Could have, you idiots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could have. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think Jody's probably pretty similarly uh, somber, like. I think he's probably fiddling with his hands and that sort of thing and like maybe like, you know, doing a bit of whittling or something like that. But like I don't think he's yeah, I think we're like heading into the end game, right? And uh a lot of lives on the line to be doing anything particularly extracurricular. Mm-hmm. Um okay, great. So do you guys want to take your short rest? Is that a thing you're gonna have done? Like we can we can do that off mic. You guys can just kind of fucking have done that and roll your hit dice yeah, while yeah, we're playing yeah. if that's what you wanna do. Um Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm good, but the other the others can. Okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm a monk. Nobody ever touches me. I'm the monk. I'm bizarrely impossible to hit. <laughs> I'm a touch-starved monk. Somebody hug me. Oh, what's yeah, that? Oh, thing. 52 when, when damage. To... Mm, how about 9 yeah. damage? <laughs> when people go to hug Jody, they have to pass a wisdom saving throw and then like getting through his AC, and he just definitely wants a hug. Okay, after about an hour or so walking north in this kind of somber mood all around, you guys come to a small clearing and you are immediately like sort of uh, confronted by two people holding makeshift spears who appear to be like not really wearing like a uniform kind of armor like they kind of just look like they're just like people who've scrabbled together whatever they could find the one on the left says like halt who goes there what are you doing here announce yourselves and then from over their shoulder, you see into this little semi-hidden encampment in the woods here, you see, well, you see two people who Jody distinctly recognizes uh, from episode or chapter 21 of this podcast. Uh, of course. Coming out L- Let of- me tell you their names. <laughs> You see two people, a man and a woman, wearing grey linen clothing. Oh, Duncan has seen the man wearing the grey linen clothing as well uh, at, at one point in the past in that very same chapter. And they walk out of a uh, hastily constructed tent and say, or the, the, the man says, It's okay, it's okay, that's, um, that's Elena, she's with us. And Elena, from uh, near the front of the party, goes, Ha, huh, Melchior. It's good to see you again. And the two people holding their makeshift spears part them, and you guys are allowed access to the camp. And this is Elena reuniting with the other two people who were traveling with yeah, her at Koran when you guys kidnapped Elena. The two people yeah. who were in the wagon out the front that Jody made their weapons invisible and then made their horses run away. And then the woman ran off after the horses. The man ran inside and Duncan well, no. punched him in the face. <laughs> You were off talking to Garrick. So you made their weapons disappear, and then you freed their horses and sent them off down the street. And the woman ran off after the horses, and the man ran into the bar to, like, get Elena. And Duncan was already talking to Elena, and then, like, a a brawl broke out. Duncan knocked out the dude and then kidnapped Elena, and you guys escaped. Truly one of our most chaotic episodes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was re-listening to it to remember exactly what happened with these two characters, and I was reminded of the delightful fact that I put, like, um, honky-tonky bar brawl music underneath that entire scene. It's so fucking good go back and listen to chapter 21 it is sick 
It's ridiculous. Oh, so, um, if if the dude's Melchior, which Spring Awakening character have you named the lady after? Uh, I didn't know Melchior was the name of a character from Spring Awakening. Probably somewhere in my deep, deep brain I did, but um, not on a surface level. And the female oh, character... You, know, you can call her Vendla or Wendler or something like that. The female character, whose, whose name you have no way of knowing right now, but I'll tell you anyway, is Persimmon. It's the Riddler. Oh, damn. Persimmon? Persimmon. The Riddler? <laughs> Imagine it was like Melchior and the Riddler. That'd be so good. Yeah, yeah they're going to get their own spoiler podcast, Melchior and the Riddler. <laughs> Yeah, so it's Persimmon, but her friends call her the Riddler. Um, <laughs> yes, so, so, so that's right. Uh, what does she do to her friends? <laughs> so uh, Persimmon, who sounds a bit like this, um, comes over, and Persimmon and Melchior and Elena kind of reunite, and Persimmon says, so it was uh, you lot that took Elena away then, was it? And just kind of looks at the group of you. And Elva just kind of hovers nervously and goes, um, no, I didn't have anything to do with that i think you've got oh that oh my god what a snitch <laughs> fucking hell helper like two seconds in like oh that wasn't me actually <laughs> does anyone have anything to say to persimmon i mean dunakan is probably the, the most responsible ah <laughs> oh. <laughs> it doesn't move physically yeah, does everyone just kind of shuffle aside and just leave like a direct path to dunakan <laughs> yeah, yeah everyone's like tying their shoelaces yeah. and yeah. polishing their swords uh, upon seeing everyone kind of parting and, and leaving like a direct line to Duncan, Melchior uh, walks over from his uh, reunions with Elena and sticks out a hand and says, no hard feelings, mate. We've all got to do what we've got to do in uh, pursuit of saving the world. <laughs> I love these, the, 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 like the, the cult hero <laughs> like uh, status that Duncan has been gifted by the, uh, the Eastern, Eastern League rebels. Um, okay, so does Duncan just stare blankly at this man's outstretched <laughs> hand and I say nothing? Like, I don't really know what to say to this dude. I just punched him in the face one time. Like, what does he want from me? I mean, he yeah, just yeah. stuck his hand out at you. I think it's pretty fucking clear what he wants. Oh, sorry. I, I kind of I missed that in the jokes. <laughs> I love this idea of, like, Duncan having to, like, in some way account for his past and just be like, uh... <laughs> what yeah. do you fucking want from me? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think Duncan probably just takes his hand, shakes it, and says, Good to see you're not throwing any surprises up this time. <laughs> Weirdly self-justifying. <laughs> <laughs> he, he raises an eyebrow at you, sort of half-perplexed, and then just shakes his head and uh, walks back over to Elena and says, person says, So, Elena, um, what the fuck? What's going on? I guess we should figure out what to do. I see you've got a little bit of company. She says, indicating the uh, unconscious, bound, and gagged sorcerer slash wizard character that you guys kidnapped uh, from the last battle. And uh, man, it really looks like a pattern from us, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and she says, "Well, um, we can we can talk through here." And indicates their like hastily constructed tent as like a place for you guys to go have a chat. Assuming you guys walk over in the direction of that tent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do we still have any of their gear? Maybe we could, like, give it back to them. <laughs> I, I assume, unless otherwise indicated, that when you guys are putting together the defense of uh, either Hastings or Espera, pick one, um, you probably gave them any excess swords and shit that you happened to have on hand <laughs> at the really time. Yeah. yeah. As you walk through this kind of, like, ramshackle, uh, I guess you'd say, like, spy outpost, you notice, like, it's not very large. Like, there aren't, like... 
you know, like hundreds of people here. It is a relatively small group. You see Persimmon and Melchior wearing this sort of grey linen that you know was the outfit of Elena's kind of splinter intelligence group from the Eastern League, but the majority of everyone else here just kind of look like people. There's like a few dozen of them, and they're just kind of, you know, rolling around. Some of them are you know, cleaning down weapons. Some of them are, you know, setting up um, barricades. Some of them are, you know, just doing the various business of camp. But the point is that these people don't look like soldiers, and they certainly don't look like right. like any kind of organized military. And do they, do they look like famous faces of Hollywood? Yeah, yeah, they all look like famous faces of Hollywood. That's right. Every single Which one ones? of them looks like <laughs> some kind of celebrity. So and every time we meet someone new, you have to introduce them as a celebrity. Guys, I'm very excited to announce the number of celebrities I got on board for this episode. So are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) They might just pop in from time to time to wish you guys luck. Yeah, how are your impressions then? (laughs) Yeah, no. uh, We've got Rebel Wilson. She's in the mix. Oh yeah, Uh, go on then. I don't even know how to do a Rebel Wilson. She just sounds like an Australian woman. Certainly not the most unique, but more unique than just an Australian woman. Yeah. Who's that uh, scouring a pot over a fire? Hey, it's Christopher Walken. Hello, uh, Jody. Uh, welcome to my camp. I hope you uh, enjoy the stew I'm preparing for the evening meal. Just I buy it. Don't go on any boat trips with Crystal Walking during this themed episode. Yeah, this is the this is the island of misfit toys. This is all the cancelled celebrities. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the has not been cancelled. Yeah. Who's that Carly Ro- Rose over there? He died, didn't he? Or did he? Hey-o. Um, <laughs> as you're walking towards the tent, it's not cancelled celebrities. It's it's just all all, all kinds of of, um, of cool people. You see, uh, you see, uh, it is also Matthew McConaughey. Throwing people off boats is cool, is it, Ben? It's Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. But he's kind of doing this one from some of his movies, and he's like, "Hey, Druzzy, that's what I like about half elves. I keep getting older; they stay the same age." <laughs> no, that, that, that's that's a tribute what he likes about Jody. He keeps getting older, but Jody stays the same age. Yeah, that's true. That is what he should like about Jody. You really got me there. Jody is an immortal body now. That's true. Um. Anyway. Most surprisingly, and you do have a tendency to leave your enemies at least dazed, if not confused. Oh <laughs> uh, god. Okay. Most surprisingly, believe it or not, more surprisingly than the appearance of star of stage and screen Matthew McConaughey or uh, the appearance stage? of um, notable, recognizable Hollywood voice Christopher Walken, you see, kind of patrolling the perimeter of the camp, a face that you. Remember, probably not very fondly. And before you make it to the uh, main command tent, charging, bounding across the camp to chat to you, is Mel, the farmer that you guys met on the outskirts of the Ashwood when you were creeping around after leaving Sanctuary for the first time, who nearly killed you with some crossbows. <laughs> if you remember, you now, snuck up to that farmhouse and she and her farmer buddies all popped out with crossbows trained on you. And she bounds man, over and she's man. like, well, shit, what the fuck are you guys doing here? It sure has been a while. With a big smile on man. her face. Bring, bring back the, uh, the Mel version one, who was kind and sweet, yeah. and then we lost that audio, and she became mean and cruel. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm sure if you guys remember this one, because we recorded this whole interaction uh, twice. 
Yeah. So the first version, there was like sexual tension between Mel and Jody. And then we had to record it again, and all of a sudden she was shooting at us as soon as we were <laughs> yeah. making out in the darkness at the Freiburg farm. Yeah. Jesus. Did this she is the, she the map as well. Reunion yeah, tour. She's the farmer with the map that I called bullshit on. This is the fucking reunion tour callback ass episode. Amazing. <laughs> Are you retroactively making her a spy to justify the map she had on her farm? (laughs) No, I I retain my position that it's not weird for a farmer to have a map. (laughs) And yeah, there's magic and shit all over the place, but that doesn't bother T. What really bothers him is the map. Uh, anyway, we, we can't get back into this, dude. Like, <laughs> we, spent, we spent so long debating the validity of a farmer owning a map. <laughs> um, so she stands there and says, How y'all doing? It sure has been a while. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it has been. Yeah, don't forget who we are. <laughs> don't shoot us again. <laughs> she says, I'm not going to shoot you. So, um, yeah, what do you think of the little camp we got set up here? Were you always Eastern League? Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> well, I'm a red-blooded Carthan. <laughs> <laughs> that big government was just treading all over our toes and we had to stand <laughs> up to him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Does she have a gun? No, she's got a right to, to, to bear crossbows. Yeah. Whoa, that's actually a great reference because the Pope once outlawed crossbows because it was too easy for a peasant to kill a knight. Would you look? Would you look at these real-life historical parallels? <laughs> but fuck, she owned a map, so it's all out the window. Um, <laughs> no real peasant, am I right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, she she says, uh, yeah, I mean, I can understand why you'd think we were Eastern League all along, but um, sure as shit, we, we were not. We were really just farmers protecting our land, and... Well, it wasn't too long ago that, well, that, that darned uh, Carthan military started rolling through the Ashwood. We weren't sure back then what they were looking for, but they sure as shit were uh, taxing the fuck out of us, trampling through our crops, picking up all of our uh, spare grains, leaving us with nothing to, to show for the, the fruits of our labor. And uh, myself and some of the other farmers around the area didn't take too kindly to that. So uh, we started, you know, putting up a little bit of a resistance. And, uh, well, here we are today. So are most of these people just Carthen farmers? Now, when you say are most of these people just Carthen farmers, do you mean are most of these people the salt of the earth, red-blooded, back strong from pushing the plow, fucking people that keep this country running? What I mean to say are most of these people just people who probably don't own maps. Oh, God. These people are farmer fit, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they got farm strong. Look at Armstrong. Look at their forearms. Those forearms. Fly me to the moon, Farmstrong. (laughs) (laughs) Giant leap for agriculture. Oh, God. She says, anyway, um, it sure is good to to see you again. Um, I'm glad you're all alive. I I must honestly say that. And it seems like we're on the same side now. I guess. Yeah, until until the next next disagreement, I guess. If you want to draw it into only two sides, then yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I learned about politics, it doesn't work that way. Whoa. How does the elder statesman, yeah. (laughs) So, uh, unless anyone has any questions or comments for Mel the Farmer slash fucking freedom fighter resistance leader, uh, she she says, well, um, I sure hope you guys figure out whatever you need to figure out and... uh, We're ready to do whatever it takes. And with that, she gives you a curt nod. 
and uh, walks back over to continue patrolling the perimeter of this makeshift camp. Just just to clarify, these these aren't Eastern League people. These are like the defectors that we're then going to go to the Eastern League yeah, with. Yeah. Right. These are That's defective Carthens. Because I was just worried for a second that we were kind of like, wow, this conversation's going so well. They're already, they're on board of the plan. Like, it's happened so easily. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that that's right. You, you know that Elena said she would get her people to reach out to the Eastern League for a meeting here. And you guys just arrived first. Mm-hmm. And essentially, like, yeah, you found this camp where it seems to be, like, a couple of Eastern League sort of splinter military intelligence people from, like, Elena's group, but, like, they're, they're backed, like, their muscle at the moment is this coalition of Carthen farmer resistance. And, uh, it, like, the Eastern League isn't going to roll in here and kill all these people as defectors. Yeah, you don't know that. <laughs> but that's, um, I think this is us being like, we just need more people. This yeah. is what we can do. Yeah, that's a that that's a risk you all deemed worth taking when you were when you were planning what you were going to do about this. So, uh, you guys proceed into this uh, makeshift command tent, and you see Persimmon and Melchior uh, sitting around a table, and they indicate for all of you to take a seat. And Elva does so quietly, as does Valeria, and Elena sits kind of closest to to Melchior and, and Persimmon. She says, so um, when do we expect the Eastern League to arrive? And do you know who happens to be in command of the platoon in the Ashwood at the moment? And uh, Persimmon goes, it's, um, it's Commander Jathra. And as, as she says, Commander Jathra, Elena kind of <sighs> winces and sucks a bit of air in through her teeth. And then uh, Persimmon says, and um, we really expect them here... Within the hour, just about, just about any minute now could be. Is there... What's the issue with this Jathra? Yeah, why, why, why with the sucking of the air? Uh, you might say Jathra and I have a bit of a history. Um, could, oh, could S- go on... more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so really could work either way for us here, but um. Suffice to say, yeah, um, we aren't on the best terms. Like a sexual history? I thought she meant, like, something had gone down between them. I mean, well, yeah, both of them <laughs> had gone down between each other. <laughs> I don't think we need to go into the specifics of my relationship with Commander Jathra, Drasilia, if that's okay with you. But um, suffice to say, we knew each other. In the academy, we were obviously in different tracks, but... Opposite sides of the train tracks. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll just see how this pans out. Elva says, We're going to have to find a way to make it work, because, again, we need all the pieces if we're going to stop Maleficus from doing whatever he's going to do, and we need to get them quickly, because as soon as he knows we're attacking... He'll probably start his plan anyway. So, just just quickly though, like, if if a negotiation cannot be reached here, do we need to try and take the take the gems ourselves? That has to remain on the table. <sighs> do you think that we should stay in the area while you have this? conversation with this gentleman friend of yours 
She she barrels Drazilia and says, "Bold of you to assume, Drazilia." <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you give his name? Jaffra. But yes, I do think it would be wise for you guys to be close at hand. I suppose we also have to consider what to do with um. And she like points, like hooks her thumb in the direction of the unconscious sorcerer that you guys have dragged in here, who is bound and gagged. And you you do all notice now that you're looking at uh, him starting to stir. Uh, you know, not not awake, but sort of waking up. Can I search the sorcerer? Stir- have we done that? No. Yeah. How detailed do you want to be? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Under um, the clothes. You know what? Very undetailed indeed. It's an eight. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, with that, you, you turn out his pockets and, you know, do a bit of pat down and you don't find anything of note. Like a dagger tucked into his waistband, a bejeweled dagger. I take it. Um, oh, yeah. I definitely take it. Yep. Uh, and, and nothing else of note. I turn to the other and nothing. Oh, actually, that's not, that's not true. Yeah, I mean, like, this makes sense to me. I, I don't feel like you really need a particularly good check to, like, go through the dude's pockets, right? Like, he's, he's tied up, he's bound and gagged. And as you do that, you do come across a sending stone. A slightly different looking sending stone. Nab it. I'm a master investigator. <laughs> um, yeah, take it to the others. Yeah, nice. So you've, you've got that now to do with as you will. Hell yeah. Do we need to think about, like, because that dude can, like, at will cast, like, blink, right? Yes. Like, do we need to be concerned about the fact that he's going to wake up and just try and get away? I think, like, without being able to move at all, assuming this guy's, like, hogtied or speak, you can probably assume that, like, whether that blink you saw him do before was an at-will spellcast or whether it was a item that he had on his person, like, you'd be pretty confident he's not going to be able to do that without sure. being able to move at all. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, it's just a tricky thing is that, like, how do we going to... Yeah, Question speak him. to him. Yeah, yeah. like the fear. Yeah. Like I think it's he... we leave the hands tied, we ungag him, and we start no. the interrogation. Hang on, we can give him one of the sending stones that we have, and get him to communicate telepathically with us through the sending stone. <laughs> yeah, nice. Anybody else have anything on our channel? They might suddenly try and talk to us on. Who else has the sending stone? I think everyone here, but Garrett had than ones, Alva. which means that they got one. Right. Okay, so, so we so can't do that because yeah. they'll hear what. what yeah. Information we get from this guy. <sighs> a great idea. Very but, good idea. Um, unfortunately, uh, I guess we just cut off his leg. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was going. That with sounds Denny. a bit better. Yeah, that's where I was going with the need hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remove his um, hands. Then he's got no fucking components. Yeah, no. he comes to whilst I'm calling him Luke Skywalker. He's just like, what? <laughs> God. So Elena says. So what's our what's our plan here? I guess what are we going to offer them? What are we going to give them to try and convince them to give us their pieces and to help us with the assault on Snakespain Spring? What we're going to give them is the opportunity for a decisive strike against their enemy. If they win this battle, do they not win Carthus? Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Elena says, I don't know about win Carthus, but Certainly taking out Esme and the werewolf will certainly be a crushing blow to the Carthan military effort. Their presence in the Ashwood will be severely undermined, which will certainly give the Eastern League a strong foothold for any future war. But that's all secondary. It has to be all secondary. I mean, if Maleficus is allowed to finish his plan, there's not going to be any Carthus left to win. Valeria says... That's all well and good, but 
we also have to assume that by the time they're here, a good, you know, hour, few hours south of Snakespain Spring, if they're outriders and their scouting forces are worth anything at all, they'll know pretty quickly where the werewolf is holed up. If I'm not mistaken, Elena, you, you told us that you didn't have any reason to believe that Commander Jathra and the Eastern League forces in the Ashwood had any specific information on where the army is. If that's going to be one of our major bargaining chips, then that might have lost some of its value. I can give them more than just where Snake Spain Spring is. I can tell them how to get in. I can tell them how to surprise them. I can tell them how to carve that city to pieces. I know that place. Is there anything that you know about the werewolf that could give them a tactical advantage? I could tell him how he deploys his forces. With my knowledge of his operations in the city, I can give him a whole battle strategy on a platter. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a general sort of feeling of nodding in the room, like, okay, we might have something here. And then at that point, the eyes of the sorcerer that you've got tied up snap open. He's bound and gagged. What do you do? I grab him. Heyo, it's me, your magical dragon hunter. That's nothing. Uh, and Dungeon Master, Big B, just checking in on you in the middle of the show as per usual. Thanks so much for listening to Chapter 59. We love you all very dearly. Um, I don't have much for you this week, just a short announcement. I know I said last time that this was going to be the second last episode, but we spent a bit longer digging through some of this content than I had anticipated, so this is actually going to be the third last episode. There are two more coming for you, so enjoy the bonus, I guess. Um... Thanks again, sincerely, so much, really, for all of your support while we've been making this show the last couple of years. It's been a lot of fun to make, and hearing how much you've all enjoyed it really makes it worthwhile. Um, with that in mind, we'd love it if you want to get in touch with us and maybe talk to or about us on your preferred social media platform. Um, you can check us out at Curio Network, just about everywhere, and also at HTWLaid on Twitter. As we approach the end of the show, we'd really love to hear from you with any thoughts or feedback or reflections or whatever. Um, alternatively, you can go and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to maybe help get a few more people on board before we wrap up this arc of the show. Uh, okay, I won't take up any more of your time. Thanks as always so much for listening. And for the third last time of this story, I want to clarify this story. There will be more HTW Laid coming. But anyway, for the third last time of this story, enjoy the rest of the show. I just love the idea that we're always like, yeah, I mean, Duncan had this great plan sort of thing. This guy's over designs and Duncan just like rushes over. Like, I draw my sword. I, no, first I ungag him uh, and punch him in the face. Then what, I wait, how, my how sword. Much, how much, how many hit so, points? So, yeah, so hang on, like, can I get an attack roll from you and then also a um, damage roll for, for one I didn't D4. say I was attacking him. You said you punch him in the face. I'm using my acting skills. It's only a bit of a punch. Ah, uh, wait. So is, is it for us then? I think if you, if, you, if that's your plan, yeah, roll the performance. No, yeah, I'm, it's you're, for him. You're better off punching one of us and faking it, and Tom, then we go Tom, down, and then you're take I'm a, a strong punch. Take a performance check for me. No, I'm just going to deliberately deal non-lethal damage to him. But okay, but you can okay. still knock him out. Speak to him. Oh, fine. I just backhand him then. Like he's got one hit point. You can't. 
convince me that somebody who's just come to is going to be slapped unconscious. <laughs> yeah, if you're just slapping him... You have superhuman then... hands, Duncan. Okay, that fine. Case, I whoa. just ungag him and draw my sword. I don't okay. hit him. Whatever. Cecilia shouts, don't cut this one's leg off. <laughs> Make an intimidation check for me, Duncan. Is it... Does he get advantage because Cecilia said... Don't, don't cut, cut this one's leg, leg off? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Josilia, make a charisma check for me uh, to see whether you can give Duncan advantage on this intimidation. Fuck. Um, is it just a flat charisma? Well, you get advantage on a charisma check for the fact that Josilia is genuinely afraid. Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> she does not. Make it a make it a make it a um, flat charisma check. But remember, you have an extra plus one to it because of your fancy. Yeah, weapons. I know. It's a nine. <laughs> It's a nine. My three goes to a nine. Okay, I think, um, yeah, that doesn't give you advantage. Go ahead and roll your intimidation check. Damn it. I've got 14. All up? Yeah. Okay, um, you see his eyes focus on the tip of your sword, and you, you would swear you see a little bit of concern, um, but he is, he's kind of trying to hold it together a bit. And he licks his dry lips and then says... What do you think you're going to do to me that they wouldn't do to me if you sent me back to the werewolf? You aren't going to get sent back to the werewolf. Well, well, what do you want then? Duncan, Jody, Tresilia. Bit of a fun one, last one, huh? <laughs> Bit of a tricky name. <laughs> Lots of people call me Valeria. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many Ilias and that sort of thing, and Arias and whatever. It's just like, Tresilia. <laughs> Yeah, he looks down at the palm of his hand, which is tied up at his side, and sees <laughs> Tresilia. Yeah, the, 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 the sweat has sort of rubbed the ink off the last little bit. He's going to take a step there. to guess the middle syllable. Yeah. <laughs> Drazingo Halloumi. <laughs> what do you guys say? He says, what do you want then? How many are there stationed at Snake Spans bring? Hmm. And I have your word that if you give me this information, you won't be sending me back there. If you give us the information. What will become of me? Are you going to kill me anyway? Are you going to send me back to my people where I'll certainly be tortured and killed to find out what I told you, if I, even if I don't tell you anything? You'll live out the rest of your days safely in the Eastern League. What? You want to send me to the League? I don't know who you are. So you're saying you'll let me go? Yes. Walk free. This is immaterial anyway, unless you help us, because these guys are going to destroy the entire plane of existence as we know it. All right? He, he, he laughs at that, or, you know, exhales some air through his nose and says, You expect me to believe that? Uh, Duncan, cut his leg off. <laughs> <laughs> I start to press the edge of the blade into his leg. <laughs> he sees you doing that. Feels you doing that, and then just says, "Again, my point kind of is that <laughs> I need, man. I need to know that I'm gonna be let go because otherwise, torture me all you like. It's gonna be exactly the same. If you don't let me go, or you give me back to the to the Carthen military, I'll be tortured and killed. So, I need you to let to let me know that I'm gonna get out of here. Enough. Our pact to you is simple." If you help us with this information, then yes, you will be going safely back to the Eastern League. You will not return to Carthus. You will have no further communication with anyone that you have served with. You can go wherever you want. You will have a new life. Is Jody lying? 
No, I think Jody believes this. I think he he sees it as like a a fair, reasonable thing. So that that would be Jody's preferred outcome of this situation. He tells you guys what you want to know, and then you let him go. Yeah. But like, as in like, we're sort of like sending him off in a way. Like, we're not like, I'm like, well, yeah, just walk out the front door and go wherever you want. Like, I think in Jody's mind, he's kind of like, yeah, clemency for information. That doesn't need to be how everyone else on the team feels. That's how, just how Jody feels, though. So. I think, like, he, he hears that from Jody, and he stares at Jody for a minute, and he winces again at the, the pain of the sword biting into his leg flesh. And then he kind of casts his eyes around the rest of the room and says, Does anyone else have a problem with that? Okay, then. I mean, obviously, we can't let him go before the assault. Yeah, sure. So, so sorry, is that something Drasilia said out loud? I think maybe Drasilia does say it out loud because she's <laughs> really bad at interrogations, as we've established. <laughs> that is true. Um, she says, yeah, we'll let you go tomorrow. Is she lying? No. He looks at Drasilia as well. He looks at Elena and Persimmon and Melchior and Valeria and Elva, who all seem pretty... Like, disinterested. They're just sort of slowly nodding and, and sort of rapt attention. And then lastly, he looks up at Duncan. Don't bother looking at me, mate. They're the ones in charge right now. Okay, then. And he exhales a big, deep breath, and he says, That sounds like a good arrangement. What would you like to know? T- tell me everything you know about the insulation at Snake's Brain Spring, and then if you leave out anything I feel is pertinent... I'll remind you to bring it up. Okay. Um, well, when I left Snakespane Spring, which was over a week ago, to go and find you guys, there was a garrison in place. They'd taken over the town and were particularly interested in the quarry. And in particular, a tunnel system underneath the quarry. I know there was an engineering corps down there excavating things, and that... Esme woman was there too. And another thing I can tell you is that the morale inside Snakespain Spring is low. There's a real feeling in the troops there that something bad is going to happen. And I don't know if that's true, and frankly, I don't care. I'm in this to stay alive and hopefully get a seat at the table. What would you like to know tactically, specifically? How many men? What's their training? Well, Duncan, I believe you know roughly pretty well what kind of training most of them have. The majority (laughs) of the forces there are the werewolf's current platoon. Bolstered by additional exploratory forces and the engineering corps, I'd estimate the total number at somewhere like 500 occupying the town. As for their arrangement, well... There's a good number of the more seasoned forces occupying the front entrance to the tunnel structure in the quarry. They they aren't great in number because, as I'm sure you know, Duncan, in order to get to the quarry, you first have to go through the town. And I just want to plant in your mind, Tom, that um, this sorcerer has just said that to you, but Duncan actually knows that that's not true that 
there are pathways you can take, and I'll describe the sort of geography of Snakesbane Spring in a moment, but there are pathways you can take there that don't go through the town proper in order to get into the quarry. Is it worth, like, an insight check then, like, in terms of, like, like, is that knowledge that he doesn't have, or is it, like, a mission? You know what I mean? If that's something that, that Duncan wants to do, if, do, you, do you want to try and figure out if he's lying to you or if he, like, just doesn't know that there are other ways into the quarry? Yeah. Take insight. I rolled a 20 and I have plus six. Ha! <laughs> natural 20 insight check? Um, yeah. Okay. With that natural 20 insight check, you detect not a word of a lie in this man's voice. Um, you believe that he doesn't he's about know to a leg. <laughs> about these other entrances to the quarry that Duncan knows about. That's very useful information. Probably not surprising to Duncan, given he spent summers working on the quarry, and this is a group of, you know, external occupiers who have just kind of yeah. set up yeah. in the town. How many are stationed at the mouth of the quarry? It's a small break-off of the werewolf's most trusted and elite troops. Something like 30 at the very entrance to the mine system itself, and then if you walk up the ramp from the quarry into the town, well, there's some stationed at the top of the ramp there, uh, probably another 50 or so, and then the rest of them are stationed at various positions between there and the entrance to town. And at this point, we should probably discuss a little bit about the geography of Snakesbane Spring. Um, for my so mind... just to clarify what you just said, yep. there's... Like 30, 30 or 40 elite troops at the very entrance to the mine. Then there's like another probably like 50 or so at the entrance to the quarry. And then there's like a bulk at the like inside the town and then at the entrance to the town. Because like as far as these people are concerned, to get to the quarry, you have to go through the town and they kind of like... And know, so that leaves around about 400, maybe a bit more or less, in the town itself. Correct. And the secret passages I know, do they get to the quarry or to the mine? Uh, they get to, like, the ground level of the quarry. Like, I imagine the quarry, like, kind of like a big, like, pit, like a like yeah. a Kalgoorlie mm-hmm. super pit type structure. But and in terms of, like, how there's the 30 or 40 and the 50 placed in two distinct places, yep. where in relation to those two does the secret passageway come out? It would come out at the base of the quarry. So there, the, the other 50 are kind of, like, up the top of the ramp. And the 30 are, like, next to the entrance of the mine. So it's not really at either of them. It'd be kind of in between. For what it's worth, Duncan knows the layout of Snakesbane Spring is such that you've got this quarry, this Kalgoorlie-style pit, which is ringed by relatively intraversible hills, like rocky, like, outcroppings. Like, it's a very large sort of, um... You you wouldn't quite say, like, mountain-mountain, but it's, like, large kind of jutting hill system that rings the entrance to the quarry, and it seems impassable. And then, like, the the one side of it that's open... That's impassable. <laughs> Sorry? Just the way you said impassable sounded like, sounded like you were like, it's impassable. I don't know, it's a funny accent thing. It's impassable yeah. to get through it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so exactly. imagine, like, a, a horseshoe-shaped ring of, like, rocky outcroppings, and then, like, in the middle of that horseshoe is the quarry. And then at the open part of the horseshoe is this, like, zigzagging ramp up to the town. But the sort of, like, rocky mountain rangy parts extend, like, down past the open end of the horseshoe, creating almost, like, this clear funnel into town. And 
that there, like where the extensions of the horseshoe continue off, like parallel to each other to create this little like basin is where the titular spring is. This wellspring of water from the like mine system underneath the earth is sort of like breaking through the earth there. And then the town is kind of built around the spring in between these two parallel lines of rocky outcroppings. And there's only one sort of clear land entrance, which is obviously like the, the open side of the two parallel like mountain parts that that make up the bottom of the horseshoe and that's where like you're hearing the majority of the troops are stationed like defending that entrance and then a few of the entrance to the quarry and a few of the entrance to the mine itself does that make sense do you have a picture of what i'm talking about literally literally nice (laughs) um yeah so i would say duncan knows like a few things one those seemingly impenetrable mountain and like rocky outcroppings that ring the quarry itself can, in fact, be passed through. There are narrow winding paths that Duncan and some of the other quarry workers used to take advantage of in order to save themselves time when they were trying to sort of enter or exit the quarry, either north or south, like not necessarily back through the town. And those passages go through kind of like sort of fissures and cracks in the walls of the the rocky like side of the quarry and then eventually sort of head upwards and out uh, up up out into like the land on the other side of the the rocky outcropping range and Duncan knows that that pathway that he's thinking of in particular is extremely narrow like one one person wide and you'd kind of want to be squeezing he also knows that that like um parallel uh, two lines that stick out of the end of the horseshoe, those are, like, less dense. Like, the mountains are kind of... or the, the rocky, hilly area is kind of, like, falling away into the sort of regular, flatter landscape of the Ashwood by that point. And there are a few slightly wider passages there that would allow you to kind of come in on either side of that, like, parallel horseshoe line if you knew how to find them. Cool. But Duncan probably keeps all this to himself for the moment, I guess. And mm-hmm. uh, the wizard guy, who is bound still, says, anything else you'd like to know? Are there any um, protective enchantments around the town or near the quarry? Only the regular kind of protective enchantments that are used in the frontline warfare these days. I mean, as we know, Carthus's advantage over the Eastern League has always been our magical abilities. So, yes, there are some. But nothing... That we haven't seen before? I don't know how much frontline military experience you have, but shouldn't be anything that you that that somebody who's fought the Carthan military hasn't seen before. So can I can I get you to take an insight check on on that, please, Drazilia? Hell yeah. Finally did it. It's uh twenty. Um, you detect a a hint of not a lie, really, but like a he knows a little bit more about that than um than he said. Interesting. Okay. Um, and these um run of the mill enchantments are they cast by casters like you or Esme or others? As you say, Esme, you see his face kind of change, like almost. You'd swear you detect like a hint of fright, a hint of fear, and he says. The barriers up in the town itself, yes, cast by the traditional Carth people like me, the traditional Carthan uh, military magical contingent, some of the more powerful sorcerers within the group. But I haven't been down to the entrance to the mine myself, but I have been told, I've heard some things that Esme and that black-cloaked figure she's always with have been 
up to something different down there that's maybe more powerful. But you don't know what? What did you hear? I heard that they'd put up kinds of magical barricades at the mine entrance that were different to the ones we knew how to cast in the town. And at that, um, Elva kind of perks up and inhales breath sharply and then says, We're going to need to get to those barriers as quick as we possibly can. Why? Are they... Will they gain in strength? I don't know what they are, but if Maleficus put them together, Maleficus and Esme, we can assume they're going to be formidable and it might take some undoing to undo them. Duncan, is there anything else? Or is man Maleficus, that chap in the dark cloak, are they usually down in the mine or? I left camp over a week ago. When I was there, um, Esme would make appearances out of the mine periodically to talk to the werewolf or check in on things. But but the, the man in black was, I only saw him on the way in. Where does the werewolf stay? The werewolf has a command tent in the center of the town, slightly towards the entrance to the quarry. It's his standard command tent with which I expect you're rather familiar, Duncan. Mm-hmm. Where are they keeping the prisoners? The lower value regular prisoners are being kept in houses from the town itself that have been converted into temporary prisons. The higher value prisoners, the werewolf keeps those close at hand. And at that moment, you hear some commotion outside, and uh, you, you hear approaching hoofbeats, you hear uh, a bit of like concern and alarm raised, and, and, and clattering of uh, makeshift weaponry, and uh, Persimmon and Melchior and Elena shoot up from their chairs, and they say, oh shit, I think that's, that's probably them, and they walk out through the front flap of the tent and say, Duncan, can you... Can you knock him out or something? Can we? Are we done here? And um, then they walk out of the tent, leaving you in there with uh, this sorcerer. We should we should move him. If the if the league see him, then any chance he has at a new life is gone. And I I feel that intel was valuable. But Can how, we? But how are we convincing that we have genuine insider intel if they can't see him? It might just be enough knowing that Duncan used to operate in with the werewolf. But this guy was there a week ago. We'll see what we need during the discussions. Start small. All right. Put a sack on his head for now. He says, wait a minute. What are you What are you going to do? And what do you do to him? Punch him in the face. <laughs> you punch him in the face? Okay. Um, you sock him in the jaw and he, he like slumps back on the ground unconscious. And so our heroes turn their attention to the negotiations with Commander Jathra and the Eastern League forces, to plan their assault on Snakesbane Spring, and on the ancient Sine Crucible. The end of this tale draws near, but that ending is not yet decided. There are many events yet to be written by the actions of our heroes, and many obstacles to overcome. At this very moment, Duncan, Jody, and Drazilia are not the only ones turning their minds to Snakesbane Spring. There are other sets of eyes in the Ashwood, watching the small town keenly and planning 
their next move. How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Thomas Owen, Grace Chappell, Ben McAllister and Jackson Newsom. Editing by Ben McAllister. You can find details of all the music in the show notes. We've got other content on Curio, such as Odds and Ends, where Grace talks with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them, or still interested, where we look at film and TV that has been rebooted or remade and try to figure out why they thought it was a good idea. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. G'day, HTW Laid listeners. My name's Gianni. I'm from the Australian Podcast Award-winning video game show, Pixel Sift. On episode 140, Callum Harrington from Melbourne's Steel Sky Production talks about Warhammer Underworlds Online, the digital adaptation of the popular board game, and how feedback is shaping the game. The game has been in development for just over two years, uh, but during that time, we made sure that we were doing a lot of alpha and beta testing. A lot of the changes that we've done, even in the last few weeks, have just been kind of compiled from feedback from our community. On each and every episode of Pixel Sift, we talk to a game developer, we find out their story, and we break down the news. You can listen to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on pixelsift.com.au, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcasts.